Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast. Cole Petham here alongside Danny Raza to go over Aston Villa 1, Sheffield United nil. Three points to the Villa to kick off the season. Danny, first of all, how are you doing and how'd you feel about that result? Yeah, listen, it was a, it was a win. That's all I wanted. I wanted three points. Uh, I, however, however we got there, whichever way we got there, it's <laughs> the end result. I always knew it was going to be a scrappy one because it's the first game of the season remembering that Sheffield United have already had a couple of games to get into it, already played two Premier League sides. Uh, for us to go in there and, and grind that out, uh, I'm happy with it. Oh, 100%. It's the perfect way to start the season. So you'll go on social media and you'll see some uh, fans saying like they're very happy with that, a good result, a good performance. Some are saying, well, we'll just take the three points. And it really wasn't that impressive. And it's it's a tricky game because well me and Danny have basically already reviewed this when we went on Danny's Twitter last night and just had a whole fluid conversation but we're gonna do it again on here so you guys can listen to it you'll hear this of course on the Wednesday morning it was recorded on Tuesday and of course we'll preview uh, Bristol City uh, later on in this podcast so stay tuned for that because that's on Thursday these games are coming very thick and fast but Danny, let's get to, I, I guess, let's get to the debutants because you have um, Emmy Martinez in goal. You had Matty Cash at right back. Um, what did you make of these two? Because we'll we'll get onto the specific moments that we can kind of highlight them in a, in a little bit. But what did you think initially? Yeah. So um, in terms of in terms of Cash and, and Martinez, I think I think you know let's tackle the Cash one first because that's a little bit um, I think you know probably less to talk about there, but. Uh, I, I won't take anything away from his performance. I thought he, I thought he played very well. I thought he played incredibly well. I think uh, what we saw was a little bit of. I think he he had a bit of El Mahamedi about him. Actually, he almost looked like a younger, fitter El Mahamedi. <laughs> he was he was really getting in those attacking positions well. You know, he was really hugging that right touchline. Uh, when Villa brought the ball forward, he was always there for Trezeguet or Grealish to pass it out wide for him to whip it in. And there, and there wasn't any real sort of hesitation on his part either. And I think that's what I was really impressed with. Um, he looked set. He looked like a Premier League player and he looked like he knew what he was doing. And I think very much looking like a Dean Smith, um, like a Dean Smith fullback. And I can totally understand why they brought him in and in terms for Martinez you couldn't ask for a better debut he said after the game that saving a penalty and keeping a clean sheet is uh is like scoring a hat-trick for him and uh yeah I think for us to have seen that penalty save that and that dominant performance from him and to also not just see that but also see the distribution from him how good he was with the ball at his feet it was a perfect debut for him so, uh, yeah, I, I was very happy with the two of them. No, that's that's good analysis, Danny. Um, when I, Like I said this to you yesterday in our chat, when I look at Matty Cash, his first few touches of the ball, I don't know, I just got super excited. It just made me feel really great about this upcoming season and what we can expect. He just, the confidence on the ball initially, he didn't have really... Um, any fear about him any worries about him he just played with confidence his delivery was very good as well uh, I think almost setting up McGinn in the opening minutes as well um, unlucky for McGinn to do a little bit better of course there's a lot to do with a in-swinging ball like that um, but no didn't really put a foot wrong and then of course Martinez did everything you could ever expect of course we'll get into the penalty in a little bit but uh, you know what Danny let's we'll dive right into the first big um, you could say quote-unquote debate of the game and that being, of course, uh, John Egan uh, fouling Ollie Watkins on a 
maybe you put quote unquote goal scoring opportunity as well. Um, what did you think about this? Was it a penalty for you? Because uh, in some circles, you're seeing obviously the Villa circle with our kind of uh, clear and blue tinted glasses on. You're going to say yes. Others, other fan base is saying yes as well. And others saying no. So where do you stand? So I think if Egan doesn't hold Ollie Watkins back, then Ollie Watkins goes straight through on goal. And on that basis, it's a clear goal scoring opportunity being denied. Uh, I don't think you always see those penalties given, but in my mind, you know, Watkins was reaching that. I think it was a beautiful ball from Tyrone Mings, first of all. And and Chris Wilder delivered a bit of a nine minute rant after the game. But I'm sorry, I don't think in that instant Sheffield United was screwed. I know, I know, you know, you can talk about what happened. And, you know, let's stress the elephant in the room, that goal scored in the last game uh, between us. You can talk about that. But I don't, I don't think in this instant Sheffield United was screwed at all. I think the referee made a decision based on the fact the defender was uh, the last man there, uh, dragging the striker back. Uh, and I think when VAR looks at it, it's not a clear and obvious error, is it? You know, whatever your opinion is of it, the fact that we're having a debate, the fact that we're kind of 50-50, the, the fact that, you know, um, you can justify giving a penalty there, it's not a clear and obvious error. So VAR shouldn't be overturning that. So in my mind, it's a red card. Yeah, like it just has to be because I, I think it comes down to the debate um, that I saw last night um, for the post-match coverage of the game, of course. Uh, I can't remember exactly which pundit was saying it, but essentially it, it was justified in the fact that if Jordan Egan isn't holding on to him, Ollie Watkins is most likely winning that ball. Aaron Ramsdale is probably not running out of his net. That's probably the only reason Ramsdale even came out of his net because he actually had the time because Watkins was being held up. Like you can, if, if you slow it down, if you watch it a few times, you can literally like, of course, Watkins is holding on to him as well. Like that is normal to see, but you can literally see Egan like pulling him back. There is no way Watkins head's going to jolt back a few times just because he's running at top speed. Like that doesn't naturally happen. So if you take body movement and those kind of situations in as well, then you, you kind of just have to give it. it, it it's a goal scoring opportunity. It, silly defending. Is it lazy defending? Like they were basically caught out just from a Tyrone Mings clearance. And fr from there, it could have been an opportunity to score. Maybe they would have saved it. Maybe you could put it down to um, them not having enough faith in their keeper yet you never know like it's one of those situations I'm not a Sheffield United fan obviously so I won't evaluate that or even want to debate that but uh, it's an interesting call it comes in the 12th minute so there's literally a load of time for Villa to impose their will and to obviously score as many goals as we kind of hope they would uh, but nonetheless it was only the one but let's kind of get on to after that Danny because you'll of course see fans on Twitter um, if people do the same on Facebook. I don't pay attention to Villa stuff on Facebook because I find it's even worse than Twitter. But you, you see some fans kind of growing impatient probably 15 minutes or so afterwards of us being a man up and seeing us just knocking the ball into the box. There's a lot of slow movement, just kind of making a semicircle, as you said yesterday in our chat, just moving it around, trying to find that space. Were you getting frustrated at all or were you kind of confident in the fact that if we're patient enough, we could capitalize? No, no, no. no. In, in those situations, if that's Villa, right, and you're seeing a team pass it around, us whilst we've got two banks of defense essentially that's what Sheffield United had there uh you know the the, the, the entire midfield line the entire defensive line you if you're if you're watching it as a Villa fan you're 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 going to be thinking yeah it's only a matter of time only a matter of time now obviously 
at some point or another, Sheffield United break, right? And they do need to score. But, you know, the, 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 the reality is that Villa have way more chances. Villa have the ball so often that, you know, they basically have to be patient. They have to be patient because when they've got 10 men in the box, you can't just throw the ball in and expect it to expect it to go in. Now, it was a struggle. It was difficult. Jack Grealish was really struggling to to get any sort of real space to, 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 to get through that Sheffield United defence because there was just so many of them there. Uh, Ollie Watkins was more or less anonymous up top because, once again, he's in there surrounded. So many markers on him. There's, there's, there's not really any way to get to him. But I thought Villa were doing the right things. You know, they, they were they were moving it about and looking for the opening. Uh, and, and, and because they were doing that, Villa had more, more of the ball. They had more possession. And I, th- and I think, in general, we, we always looked in control there, apart from, as I say, that break they had. Yeah, so we'll get on to the penalty decision now because it's another big talking point. And, of course, you kind of previously mentioned, Danny, with the whole Chris Wilder rant. Um, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter today. I had a good laugh. Um, they compared his frowning face to, like, basically a, like just a sandwich with, like, ham on it. And it had, like, two uh, cucumbers as eyes, and it had, like, a frowny face on it. It kind of actually looked like him, uh, to be honest. I do feel bad for him, though. I do <laughs> feel a bit bad for him. Because, because Sheffield United have been you know, on the bad end of a lot of decisions. And you can understand for him as a, as a manager, that's almost had, well, not even almost, he's had to defy the odds with that Sheffield United team. And now he's come into a season where everybody else around him has been able to strengthen. Yeah, okay, they've been able to spend 18 million on Aaron Ramsdale, but, you know, I'm not being funny. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to detract from anyone. But David McGoldrick and, and, and Ollie Burke up top, it's not a Premier League strike force. You know, they don't have the players that Villa have. They don't, and I, and, and what they don't need is is bad luck. What they don't need is stuff going against them. And I, and I, I really do think they're going to be in for a struggle. But you, you, you do have sympathy for Chris Wilder. Yeah, he's, he's a good manager. Like, I don't think he's a bad person or a bad manager or anything like that. He is a good manager. Like, the fact that he's been able to take on, I guess you could say, projects. Like, if you look at, um, I can't remember, we mentioned them last time. And now, like, Oliver Burke, I guess there's a good example that just came to my mind. Like, he, in my mind, is a project. Like, he, of course, he went to Leipzig, then that didn't work, so he goes to West Brom. That still doesn't work after all this expectation and hype. And now he's at Sheffield United. And to be fair to him, he drove this penalty decision. He created that opportunity in order for Basham to be fouled. Now, in your mind, is it a penalty? Because, like, if you look at it a million times, like, I still can't even tell if you touched him. Like, it is literally, like, a hair, like, difference. It, it's so hard to tell. Like, I don't I don't blame a player for going down in the box if you have really the opportunity anymore. It's just how the game seems to be played now. Like, players are just going to go for it. Um, you made the argument yesterday that people complain about Grealish. Even our own fans sometimes even say he goes down too easily in certain situations where he probably doesn't need to. So with that being said, Danny, how did you feel about it? Yeah, look, Basham, I think I think there was a touch there. I know that there's a little bit of debate on whether or not the camera catches that, but I, I think I think I think Basham's caught there from Matty Target. But I think first of all, Matty Target isn't doing that deliberately he's just kind of caught running the wrong way and because of that it's not a red card um i think so there's that and then when it comes to the penalty yeah look first of all what's basham doing there like fair play to him for for getting all the way up there he's a defender um (laughs) just having a day (laughs) yeah but second of all you know is he really going to go down when he's one-on-one with a keeper like that you know is he really going to do that deliberately it's a penalty 
It's a penalty each and every way. It's not a red card though. No, no. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't understand that in Wilder's uh, post-match uh, post-match remarks. Apologies there. Um, when he was saying that there should be like a there's like a one for one rule. Like, since when is that ever a thing? So like, what? Because you have a player taken off, we deserve to as well. Like. Uh, they're completely different contexts. Like you're taking a, a man down when he's basically alone on goal versus you can't really classify that as alone on goal. You're literally like a foot away from the goalkeeper. And the most annoying thing about this, Danny, you might actually find this funny is when Ollie Burke played that into the box, I could see Basham cutting in and target a little late, but my screen or my stream froze. So I didn't, I was like, Oh my God, please don't say we conceded. It didn't come back <laughs> for like 30 seconds. So, like, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, like, if we're down, like, one nil to ten men, I'm going to cry. Of course, then they get a penalty. So, we'll move on now, quickly kind of mention the Martinez save again, because I love this man already. All six foot five of him. Like, you could say that is a comfortable goalkeeper save in terms of it's pretty well mid-range to his, I guess, would that be his... I'm trying to figure out which way was it to his right. <laughs> if yeah, it I'm was to Martin, it was to Martinez's right. Yeah, um, and Lundstrom takes the penalty, um, trying to rifle it into the left hand side of the net. Yeah, so and it, you know what's pretty sad. I'm trying to figure that out, and I'm literally like putting my hands up right now and twisting my body in that direction. I thought he went. So that's <laughs> content that some of the uh, listeners unfortunately don't get to see in person. So that is what it is there. But uh, yeah, like a fantastic save, uh, amazing, amazing confidence booster for him on your debut penalty save and a clean sheet. Like. I'm not going to say we have like a Messiah goal, like goalie here. He's going to save the day or like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like it's the first game, but I'm very impressed with it. And just his ability to make the box his, there's a few corners where he just came out and claimed it when there was like seven people around him. Like, to be honest, Danny, if you, if that was Nyland, do you have confidence that he's going to be able to grab that? (laughs) No, I mean, no, but I mean, this, I think, I think we, to be fair to Nyland, penalty saving it's something you can do um but i think it's just he kept on saying martinez that yeah we studied the penalties we studied the penalty takers and all that kind of thing it's it's what premier league teams do now but he he kept on saying i just went with my instinct i just went with my instinct and he's and he's saying that like yeah i knew what was just um it was so calm it was so calm i don't know like i remember i was watching it with my dad and i think he was like he's gonna save this and it was just it was just so big for for him as well it was just you you know you know what with the penalty with the penalty right there, I I'm trying to I'm trying my hardest to analyze a penalty here right, but when that pen, <laughs> when that penalty gets called right, I'm kind of thinking this is half a blessing in disguise, isn't it? This could be a blessing in disguise because if Martinez saves that, there's no way he's getting beat today, yeah. right? And I was I was and I savored that man, I, <laughs> I savored that save, <laughs> like yeah, it was just it was it was just good. It was on the line. Uh, he was on his line. Um, he just chose which way he wanted to go. He said he was looking at Lundstrom, and yeah, this is a just a second instinct that 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 goalkeepers have, isn't it? They kind of just have to guess sometimes, and his reaction speed, to be fair to him, was was on point. Yeah, I mean, it also helps that he's six foot five and he's like massive in goal. Like that is like obviously to be that big and that tall and to be that quick and agile and flexible that's a whole never a whole nother skill set so mm. fair play to him like yeah to be honest when that penalty was being taken i literally was kind of like half facing the screen going like oh my god this is typical villa like this could be not more <laughs> typical we're up a man and we still can't score we're about to concede and to be fair i jumped out of my chair and like fisted the air really hard so you what 
fisted the air really hard like pump pump fit like you know what i mean like yeah not not yeah i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> we're keeping this pg <laughs> don't worry <laughs> i punched the air there we go <laughs> that's, 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 okay there we go there I'm, sorry, I'm missing i'm missing i'm missing carry on carry on danny childish <laughs> mind jesus okay let's <laughs> let's get on to well, actually, let's get before we get on to the goal, let's get on to the substitution that was made, I think, a minute before the goal. So in the 62nd minute, you had Hurahan coming on or coming off for Keenan Davis. Keenan Davis obviously coming on to make things a lot more physical, direct, and obviously to create more issues in the box, have another presence in the box when we're creating so many crosses because uh, this is one of those games where, like, kind of the, your regular game plan goes to the window. I would have loved to see this game 11 v 11 to really see how it would have played out because I, honestly, when it was 11 v 11, I thought we were far by far the better side. I don't really, I can't really judge Ollie Watkins on this game because you're going from having lots of space up front, being able to make those runs to basically Sheffield United, just packing their box, taking their physical players, their big, tall, strong defenders <laughs> and just heading it away constantly when you're having a not super tall Ollie Watkins and a few other midfielders that aren't very tall as well try to make some opportunities out of what you could argue sometimes really nothing. Like I, I kind of felt like we were getting trapped in that whole mindset of well, eventually if we keep crossing on the sin, we're just going to create opportunities. And it just, it wasn't happening initially, but I, I don't know if you can put it down to this substitution Dame Danny, but of course the cross comes in, uh, Mings, of course, heads it on, and Ezra Konza just knocks it in. And I mean just. Like, it was a pretty slow, <laughs> rolling, tumbling header into the right-hand corner. But nonetheless, a goal is a goal. It's 1-0 to the Villa through their limping defender a few moments ago that seemed to get better with his little hamstring injury, oddly enough. What yeah, were your yeah. thoughts on the goal? And um, what did you think, I guess, did Keenan Davis ma- make any impact on this on your mind? I think Keenan Davis makes an impact there. I, I, I don't think I, I don't necessarily know if it's um you know if if that was Dean Smith's thinking, but what's happening at this point obviously is that Ollie Watkins is quite isolated up top. I mean we've seen this situation with Samata. I mean I mean it's not the same situation. What's what's happening is at this point it's not because he's not getting the delivery. It's not because he's not getting the balls or, or whatever. It's not through lack of trying. It's it's at this point it's Sheffield United have so many men back. They're just stuffed back. Right, and it's just too hard to get your central striker on it. So Dean Smith's gone right. Let's get a big guy up. Let's get a big guy up there. Make them, you know, give them something to think about. Let's let's have someone be a nuisance. And that's exactly what Keenan Davis did. And I think when he's, in, when he's in that box in the corner, suddenly they've got something else to deal with. You know, you got three big guys in there, and Mings, um, Mings, Davis, and and Konza suddenly suddenly to deal with with this uh, from this corner. Um, and yeah, I think I think uh, it just shocked them a little bit. Maybe just forced them out of the regiment a little bit and in and in that sense Ezri Kons has got more of an opening or more of a opportunity to get get ahead to it and yeah it was a good it was a good goal um it was it was nice to see him leap for it obviously get it into the uh, correct area of the goal but Aaron Ramsdale probably should be doing a lot better uh you know you look at the two goalkeepers we paid a lot of money for somebody who's significantly older than him um and yeah I think I think Ramsdale probably should be doing better there yeah, like, I, I don't know the exact height of Ramsdale, but I think the commentary team that I was watching was saying he's kind of below average when it comes to your average keeper's height. So, 
of course, you can't really use that as an excuse if you're in the Premier oh, League, in my two, opinion. I think. Yeah, he's like it's two. it's it's a fair height. It's not like he's like five foot ten or something, but like you'll see most keepers now. It feels like they're like gargantuan for the most part, unless you're a, a Casillas or something like that, where you're just absolutely unreal. But regardless, yeah, you could probably say he could do better there. But nonetheless, a goal's a goal, and we just needed it. And I think the interesting thing, Danny, maybe we can touch on briefly is Jack Grealish. Like, in my opinion, I didn't think he had the greatest game. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I think this is kind of the whole thing with a really short, quick preseason is I feel like a, a, the first few Premier League games for a lot of teams is going to feel like preseason. Like, I, I feel like that's why we're seeing some very high scoring games, because a lot of these teams didn't really have a full preseason or basically no one did. Definitely mm-hmm. not to a regular one. So it, it's nice to know that we can actually win a game when we're not solely relying on Jack Grealish to be that man. No, exactly. And I think we had to play a little bit of a different game. You know, Grealish did have a good game. Don't get me wrong. He didn't have a bad game at all. I thought I think he still drove a lot of the attacks and I think we still played through him. But I think essentially Jack Grealish works better when there's a little bit more of an opening. It's the same reason I don't think John McGinn had a spectacular game. What you've essentially got is um, you've got defenders there who are so packed back that for Jack Grealish to try and, you know, get through them immediately, he's going to be met with somebody else. He had a little bit of a duel going on, I believe, with it might have been Basham. I can't remember. But um, yeah, if he's going to get past somebody, suddenly he's met to somebody met with somebody else in the box and, and essentially they can all push out. And uh, I think very much in like a Liverpool fashion sometimes, just kind of gang up and, and and deny the player with the ball any sort of space. I think that made it difficult for him. But I think when Villa go up against like a Southampton or somebody who plays with a higher line, that's when you'll see Jack Grealish really kind of like, right, let me <laughs> create some space for myself. And even, and to be fair to him and to be fair to, to like, John McGinn and to be fair to some of the other players as well you know as, as soon as Sheffield United go a goal down there's suddenly all this space for them to play with and, and they and they look better so yeah I think that's all it is yeah like it, like I said before it's like one of those situations where your normal tactical game plan just goes out the window in this case like it, you can prepare for going down to 10 men in some instance i guess but like it's not your normal mindset like instantly like i don't know the exact amount of possession we have um if you want to look that up danny by all means yeah i can tell you right now yeah like go go ahead no it's fine carry on i i I lost it i'll tell you in a second (laughs) okay i was just about to say like it was like i think over 80 percent or something like that so like it it's almost like we're not used to hat. Well, we're definitely not used to having that much of the ball. I can't remember the last time that's ever happened, to be honest. So like, it's kind of when you have the ball that 72. Oh, okay. Well, I can still, I can't remember how much, like when's the last time we had that much. (laughs) So like, yeah, but it was against 10 men. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that comes the issue too, in the sense that like you have so much time on the ball that you might not be used to. So do you overthink some things? Do you have even too long to think about some things? Cause like I noticed with Douglas Louise a lot too, is he likes to make that killer pass, but sometimes I notice his movement can be a little slow at times when he's trying to move it up the pitch or trying to find that killer pass. So I'm not just blaming on him. There are some obviously McGinn and Hurahan and a few other players looked a little bit off the pace and in terms of movement, but, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, Danny, a win's a win. I'll take the three points. This is this is a result, in my opinion, that 
we probably either would have drawn or lost last season. So it's, I think this season's all about improving obviously on last season, but improving those results that in those situations where we would have, should have won or at least drawn. And this time we're actually doing it. I think that's the point. We have to kind of realize the potential that we can actually win a game and kind of actually make this season more easy on the the Villa fans' hearts <laughs> because I don't know if I can take another season like last year. But uh, before we get on to a brief Bristol City preview, Danny, who was your man of the match? Uh, yeah, so this was, uh, this was a bit of a tough one for me because, like, I've just been swaying back and forth. I really have been. And um, I think I'm going to go with Esri Konza. As I think Martinez had a great game, by the way. I thought he, I thought he was brilliant. But the reason I go with Ezri Konza is that apart from the penalty, he really wasn't tested, Martinez. He, I mean, he had one save to make, really, didn't he? I mean, what, what, what I loved from him was his distribution across the back. Uh, I thought he, he looked safe when it came to corners. And obviously, the penalty save was massive. But for me, Ezri Konza made some you know, fantastic tackles late on in the game that, that really did deny Sheffield United any sort of chance of, of, of even testing the goalkeeper to start with. The goal from Ezri Konza was brilliant. For that to come after his hamstring injury, for him to play through that and still uh, and, and still deliver that kind of a performance, yeah, for me it's got to be uh, it's got to be Ezri Konza. I, ju- I just I just thought he had a fantastic game, and I think he's he's really sort of developing into a into a top top player. So yeah, I think it's oh. I think it's Konza for me. Well, that's fair enough. Like I said this to you yesterday in our chat as well. I feel like we're just repeating a lot, but going in depth on some other things that we haven't. But uh, nonetheless, it's always good to talk Villa. But I think the thing that kind of spoke to me or kind of was a great example of Konza yesterday was there was just a simple situation in our own half where he was pressured by a Sheffield United player tight against the line keep in mind and he could have either tried to play that back to Martinez which would have been quite awkward and it would have needed a lot of pace and to be honest I think if he would have done that it probably would have been intercepted or created a problem for us and who knows how that would have that may have ended up but I kind of feel like that's how it would have went for him or he would have done that I guess I should say if it was probably the start or early on last season but the fact that he was able to kind of just hold that up and have the confidence to be able to turn around quickly and drive forward and lose that man it speaks to his growth and what his potential can be realized. So I'm not going to name him as my man of the match, but he does obviously deserve it as well. I'm going to have to go with Emmy Martinez. I, I just solely think, even though he really only made the save and had a few um, balls to claim in terms of crosses and corners and stuff like that, I just thought his presence in the box, how he commanded it, how it seemed like the defense seemed a lot more settled. I don't, obviously that can be because of going down to 10 men, but even for the 12 minutes that we were level with 11 V 11, it just, it just seemed like uh, it seemed a lot more assured, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And with, without that penalty save, I think we, one, we rush it in terms of trying to create chances. And two, I think we open ourselves up because you could kind of tell as soon as we scored that goal, Sheffield United started to try to push up again, which didn't really work for them too much, but they did try to create a few more opportunities. And to be honest, I think if we would have had to rush it, it would have played into their hands. And then you might see a typical another Villa mistake. And who knows, it could have been two nil to them or something like that. <laughs> like you just, you just don't know with this team, but yeah, I'll go with Emmy Martinez. Um, and yeah, before we actually go on to 
the Bristol City preview, I will mention the FPL League because I should have done that earlier and I just remembered. So, of course, I don't know if it's too late to join, but if you want to still join, if you're still able, um, it's the Holtcast Cup. You can go on the at 7500 Holt Twitter and you can find the code there. It should be within the last like 10 tweets or so. Um, so let's get on and congratulate the uh, first place person as of right now being uh, Super Jack FC, Anthony Bishop. He had 116 points in game week two, uh, topping to 186 total. So actually, he had a fairly average week for a high-scoring game week one and just turned it on. Uh, He captained Harry Kane with 42 points. He had uh, hat-trick hero Calvert-Lewin. He had uh, James Rodriguez and uh, Barnes as well from Leicester. So he had some high-scoring players in there. I think like all of them averaged over like... 11 points or something. Oh, and he had De Bruyne who had 13. So fair play to him. Of course, the winner uh, will have their choice of uh, any of the uh, Villa kits from this season. Thank you to uh, 1211 Kits for sponsoring. If you want to go check them out, all you have to do is go on Twitter. I'll spell out the letter or the word one, the number two, spell out 11, and then, of course, Kits all together, and you can find uh, his store there. It's not just Villa stuff. Of course, it has uh, other um, teams on there as well in terms of uh, shirts. He has club socks on there, all the good stuff. Um, so, yeah, go check him out, and thank you to him. But nonetheless, let's get over to Bristol City because, of course, we play them on Thursday or technically tomorrow when you listen to this on Wednesday. Quick turnaround here in the EFL Cup. We will travel to Ashton Gate to uh, face the second place team in the championship. I mean, they've only played two games and it's against Stoke and uh, I think Coventry, which obviously one came up last year and the other one heavily struggled and almost got relegated. So we'll see how that goes. Of course, they beat Northampton Town uh, 4-0 in the prior round. So they're coming in with a lot of confidence, but of course Villa are as well, Danny. So uh, mm-hmm. we won't dive too much into this because I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Bristol city, but uh, what are your thoughts on the game and how do you feel about it? Yeah. Bristol city are looking good. They've had four wins. If you count their EFL cup games as well, they got big wins over Stoke city and Coventry city in the championship Two very respectable sides as it is. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough game for Villa really. Uh, you, you know, you, they're, they're, they're now going up against somebody who has who has high confidence because um, first couple of games, definitely, you know, you look at Burton, who obviously were a couple of leagues below us and Sheffield United, who, who are a little bit confident shot at the moment. Um, but yeah, now Bristol, Bristol City are going to going to really come at us. It's going to be interesting for me to see what kind of a team we pick, though, to be fair. Like, are we going to really send out our first teamers again? That's the question for me, because if we send out a team with like Henry Lansbury or, and say Nakamba. No, you know, I don't want to disrespect them too much, but that midfield didn't really do much for me. Yeah. Like it, well, like the only credit I can give Lansbury is basically the cross that came in, of course, for Grealish's goal leading to the winner against Burton. But uh, we've kind of heard kind of things here and there um, about, uh, another cup run being another priority as well as doing way better in the league, of course, avoiding relegation comfortably. Um, I I don't know if it's in this cup or not. I don't know. I I don't really know what to expect. I I think it's going to be heavy rotation. I can't see Konza playing. I assume with, they won't take a chance on him given his little niggle and all that kind of stuff like that. You'd probably see rotation at left back. So Taylor would probably come in like, 
it's probably going to be maybe Keenan Davis starts, maybe Ollie Watkins starts. I like it's kind of out the window. Like these games are so quick and fast. Like we play Fulham next Monday too. So like everything kind of has to be kept into consideration. Like the thing I am very fearful of this game in the sense that I'm assuming Bristol city will probably put out a fairly full strength squad is you have some former Villa players in there being Nathan Baker and Andy Vyman um, off the top of my head. Um, would it not be the most typical Villa thing if either of those two somehow scored? <laughs> yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? It would be. Uh, but I, I think I think it's just it's a bit different this time around. I, I I just kind of knowing that we got Bristol so soon after, I'm just kind of like, oh, again, it seems a bit full on that we've already had that we'll already have had two cup games before you know really getting into the league. I I, I feel like we still don't know where we're at. Uh, at some point or another, we're gonna lose or we're going to get caught out. I think we nearly got caught out at Burton. Um, yeah, no, it could happen. You know, they, they, they're going to be a lot more settled than us. I, I still think that we've got a couple more signings coming in, and I think that Dean Smith almost seemed quite reluctant to play the team that he did last week, didn't he? I don't know yeah. what it was, but he almost seemed quite re- reluctant. There's a lot of players there who are in the shop window, and that's what worries me. Are the players who are for sale or the players that, you know, probably aren't going to be at the club very soon. Um, are they really going to put in the same kind of effort that Bristol City are? That's what I don't know. And that's where somebody like a Andy Wyman will pop up and, you know, get first to a ball and and um, and, 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 and get something for them. Well, to be fair, like, I'll be very glad to see him. I loved Andy Wyman, to be honest. Like, uh, I had some great memories, as frustrating as he could be sometimes with his end product. I do have some very good memories. Of course, the 3-2 uh, winner against Man City. I'll never forget that. Like, that was my <laughs> screensaver on my laptop for, like, probably a year and a half. So, like, obviously, thanks to him and, of course, to Nathan Baker for his services and all that kind of stuff. But it's strictly business now. And I think the interesting thing, actually, Danny, and I was just thinking of it, I wonder if this means we could see Bertrand Traore. And the reason I say that is because he's clearly lacking match fitness. He could be as fit as he wants, but you need that match fitness. He hasn't really had that um, so far with the uh, Lyon system or season just kind of kicking off as well. So do you think we could see him? Yeah, we might do, to be fair. Yeah, I think I think, I think, I think that's, that's going to be the key thing, isn't it? I think it's, it's all set up for him to really go and make a name for himself. I think it'd be interesting. I think we'll probably see him out on the right-hand side with, uh, with Al Mohamedi. Uh, supporting him and I think I think it'd be interesting to see how that works I also quite like the idea of like Keenan Davis starting as well and that way you will have like two left footers up there I'll be interesting to see how that how that works um yeah 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 but no, then Hotter that... as well he's got to get a game hasn't he as well Hotter well, El Ghazi I don't know well that's the interesting thing too because like if you looked at the bench yet um yesterday um obviously it just like it looked bare like it looked like we we're obviously Lansbury I don't think was listed and a few other ones you'd assume that should be listed should be on there and they weren't so I'm kind of wondering what's going on here are we just 100% resting some players because we play a Thursday or are some of these players gonna move here in a couple the next couple days or something so I, I think that's the thing we're coming into kind of unfamiliar territory with the window being open this long we just don't really know what to expect who's gonna come and who's gonna go but I, I think the interesting thing actually and I wouldn't be shocked because Traore did play a little bit of a central forward striker role at Leon. I almost wonder if we play him up top like I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Like, I honestly, with his goal scoring record in the center for a striker role, 
in the first, I think it was like the first season or two at Lyon. I, I wouldn't be against it as long as we win. I think that's the main thing. Or you know <laughs> what? Even if it's like a hard fought loss, like whatever. I like, honestly, I, it's harsh to say, and it sucks to say it during a preview because you want to amp these games up. But like, uh, I could not give less of a crap about the EFL cup, to be honest. I just want us to be okay in the league. I just want us to be like mid table. Like that's all I want. I want it like an interesting fun season where we're not stressed all the time, which of course is impossible. And I wouldn't mind. Sending, it's because we're setting on. ourselves up for like Wembley come downs, isn't it? Yeah, I think, well, I just want, if anything, I'd prefer a better FA cup run. Cause last year's was abysmal. Like that full in performance was the most dull, like pathetic thing I've ever seen for a cup performance. Like it just, it's just seemed like the squad didn't want to be there except for a newly um, fit James Chester who was trying to prove himself. So like at the end of the day, it, it's a cup game and these are highly unpredictable, of course. But anyways, Danny, um, if you don't have anything else you want to mention, uh, how about we, uh, we uh, hit the road? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. I'm looking forward to Bristol, man. Uh, just one more point on Bertrand Traore. I think he signed for a winger, man. Because, just because, I just want to say this, because we paid a lot of money for him. 17 million? He's going he's gonna to be expected to hit the ground running. He really is. Because he's going to go straight into that starting lineup. You know, as much as we all love Trezeguet, he's going to go straight into the starting lineup. So I think Bristol City really is the game where, you know, hey, Bertrand, you got to turn up. you got to turn up, man. I think that's, that's who all our eyes are going to be on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting nonetheless. But anyways, guys, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much to Danny for, of course, joining me as always. If you want to find Danny on Twitter, it's at Razajurno. If you want to find me on Twitter, um, Cole Petum, it's at Talk Aston Villa. All together, we make up the Holtcast. Follow us on Twitter at 7500Holt. Email us. It's changed, actually. We have to change some things up, and I'll make that announcement eventually. Um, it's Holtcast at gmail.com instead of HoltcastPod. So follow or email us at Holtcast at gmail.com. We'll leave you there. Uh, looking forward to Thursday, and don't forget, up the below.